Welcome to Across the Park Podcast, a football podcast on both Everton and Liverpool Football Club, produced by six mates, the three Reds, Gary, Phil and Terry, and the three Blues, myself, Milsey, Juji and Craig. Each Monday, we release our latest show, we will discuss the ongoing matters with both teams, whether it be good or bad, opposing views, opinions, banter and debate. We are proud to be a family-friendly football podcast and you can find more about us on our website www.acrosstheparkpodcast.co.uk Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a show on your preferred podcast listening app and make sure you give us a follow on our social media. Twitter is Across the Park PC, Instagram is Across the Park PC and Facebook search Across the Park. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to Across the Park Extra. Myself, Millsy, with Judgy. We're delighted to be down at Finch Farm with, with one of our favourites ever Everton players and Everton legend, Mr. Ian Snowden. Snods, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Good morning. Good Pleasure morning. to be here. Thanks for having us here. Well, we're going to go through the timeline of your Everton career. So, right back to the very start, there was a bit of a, a, a fight for you. Two Merseyside clubs had both bid £850,000 to Leeds, that being Everton and Liverpool, of course. The story goes that Billy Bremner didn't really want you to go. But the bid was a bit bit too much to turn down for Leeds. Well, to be in fairness to uh, to Billy Bremner, it was probably me that didn't want to leave. Uh, to be quite honest, I knew Everton and and Liverpool would become no bigger than them in, in at the time. Probably just not in English football, but in European football, they were two biggest clubs in in European football to me. Uh, but I was I was captain of Leeds United. I had a great rapport with the the Leeds United fans. I'd got a manager that I'd run through a brick wall for in Billy Bremner. So it was basically me that didn't really want to leave. And uh, I think the first bid came in at 6.50 or something like that. But I, t- I tell Billy that I wanted to see Leeds back in the... Uh, I wanted to see Leeds back in the old first division, which it were in that time. So, uh, yeah, when the two bids came in, I said, no, I want to s- stay here. I, w- I, w- I was happy. And I think if, if, if you're a footballer and you're happy, you really don't want to leave, and I wa- and I was happy. And uh, as I said, Leeds were a Leeds were a, a big club, all right, in a in a second division. But I I just felt that uh, I wanted to get them back in, even though I'd only I'd only been there eighteen months, seventeen months. I'd played at Doncaster most of my young career, and I were only at Leeds seventeen months when the two bids came in. So it wasn't a matter of me being there for five six year and wanting to move on. I was there 18 months, and I thought, right, I, I want to see Leeds back in the first division. But then it was a lot of money. The third bid came in at 8.40, and it was basically the chairman of Leeds said, look, we, uh, we, we're not going doing great in, in the league. We need the money, and you going could benefit the team, getting three or four players. So I thought, well, I'm doing Leeds a favour as well. Plus, I'm going to be joining one of the best club, whatever I choose, one of the best clubs in Europe. And... Uh, Believe me, it was the hardest decision I'll ever ever make in my life. I was going to say, didn't you meet Howard and Kenny on the same day? Yeah, I did. Um, there were no agents. We didn't have an agent. So Billy Bremner was like a, a dad to me. He'd, he'd had me since I was 15 at uh, Doncaster as a schoolboy. Signed me as an apprentice. Give me my debut at 16, uh, just after three months after leaving school. Made me captain at Doncaster when I was 18. I got under tw- uh, England youth under 21 while playing at Donny under him. So I, I idolised the fella, I really did. And uh, so he said he'd travel over to uh, to Merseyside. But well, it weren't Merseyside really. Were, uh, Howard wanted to meet me at two o'clock in a hotel in Blackburn. And the same evening at seven o'clock, Kenny Daglish wanted to meet me in an hotel in Burnley. 
Wow, yeah. but Bremner, Daglation, and, and Kendall. Oh, Kendall. <laughs> not, too, not too bad, that is it. Dear, can you imagine not that? Too shabby. Uh, Three ends of man by those three, is it? A midfield and a, well, and a, and a striker. Uh, yeah. Two midfield players and a striker. So you're in fantastic company <laughs> there. But uh, yeah, he just didn't want to see me go on my own. I, I was naive. I didn't really, even at 22, 23, I didn't know what the whole world was about. I'd lived in Yorkshire all my life and uh, I'd only had him as my manager. Uh, Eddie Gray briefly for a spell so for him to come with me and, and basically make me feel comfortable around Howard and around Kenny was 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 a massive so he drove he drove me over and we spent basically eight or nine hours over talking to them both and then he drove me back the next day and uh, the next same night and I had to give me a decision the next day there were no week about it to think about it next day with the decision and even driving home he never he never said a word to me Billy he just talking about everything bar yeah. Everton and Liverpool because yeah. he, he knew whatever I wanted to do he was happy with it but he needed me to be happy so he just left it till uh, till the next day so a 22 two little lad from Yorkshire mm. how did you decide between Everton and Liverpool what was what swung it for you was I it was I it Howard's or I, c I couldn't tell you to this day I really couldn't um, I sat down in front of Howard and money let me tell you, money did not come into it. Um, I'd never asked for a rise from being 16-year-old to joining Everton Football Club or, or Liverpool, what it had been. Never asked for a rise. Billy Bremner always said to me, do never ask for a rise, son. He said, if I think you're doing well, I'll call you in and give you a rise. So I, ne I never I never went in and asked for a rise. So money didn't money didn't uh, come into it one bit. My dad were a, were a minor uh all his life working down the pit, so I knew how much <coughs> money meant. I knew how to uh, to evaluate money, so he'd worked there all his life. I knew how hard he found it to keep the family going, so money didn't come into it. And I know if it did, my dad would have kicked my ass anyway <laughs> uh, if he thought I'd gone to either club for more money. Yeah. So, uh, no, let me tell you, the exact same money was the same. They must have talked, Kenny and Howard, because the money was exactly the same. And uh, it was just a matter of... Was it a feeling? Everton touched you there or...? Do you know what? I spoke to Howard and I turned around to Billy Bremner and I went, I don't really want to go and talk to Liverpool. I'll, I've heard enough. Howard really, really wanted me. He said, look, I've been to watching myself numerous occasions. I want to see you here. I've got a long-term injury in Paul Bracewell. You're going to be in my team alongside Peter Reid. He said, I'm not going to spend 840000 if you're going to sit on my bench or in the reserves or whatever. I see you now as going straight in there. And uh, and don't get me wrong, when I, when I spoke to Kenny five hours later, he was adamant as well even though he'd got McMahon and Mulby in the centre of midfield, which I thought, hmm, am I going to get straight in there, straight in uh, into the centre midfield area? And probably that's what swayed it in the end. Um, unfortunately, Paul Bracewell were injured with a long-term injury, and I thought, I've got a chance of getting straight in there alongside, uh, alongside Peter Reid. And I was a central midfield player. I didn't like playing out wide. Even though I were quick, I'd got no tricks or anything to beat people out wide, and I didn't really fancy being being a wide player. So I thought, I've got a chance of getting straight in there. And if I were to pick one reason, I think I looked at Moby and McMahon, I thought, would I get straight in there? I might be out wide, I might be... Liverpool had a knack of 
putting players on the bench or in the reserves just to get to know how to play the Liverpool way for a few months. And I thought, Everton are as good as Liverpool. And they were. Everton are as good as Liverpool. I've got a chance there. And probably that was the reason that swayed it. Okay, so, it's, so you sign in three months later. Mm. You're at Anfield in the derby. Yeah. Were you a bit nervous there seeing Kenny again? or? Do you know what? The first person uh, to come up to me, I think we played him two weeks after I signed. And I, I remember the headlines, he's made his bed and, uh, and he's, he can lie in it kind of thing. And, and and I was a bit apprehensive because I'd spoke to Kenny on numerous occasions and uh, he obviously thought I was going to sign for him when I picked the phone up and said, I've chose Everton because he was massively disappointed. He said, stay there now, I'll drive over from... Uh, from Melwood, the training ground. I'll drive over to Ellen Road when I made my decision. He said to see if I can talk you back into signing for Liverpool. So he, he was desperate and he's put it in his book and he, and I've seen him numerous occasions in Birkdale Village and we have a laugh about it now. And, and he says, after watching me play, thank God I never signed you <laughs> and stuff like that. But let me tell you something about Kenny Daglish. Two weeks after we played him, and I didn't play, we played him in a, in a cup game and Kenny Daglish would like walking towards me down the Everton Tunnel and I thought, oh my God. And he just put his hand out, he shook my hand, he said, all the very best, son. He said, you're a good player, that's why I wanted to sign you. You signed for the wrong club, but I wish you all the best. Touch and I class. thought, wow. And I thought, that's brilliant. And as I say, I see him regularly in Birkdale Village because we both live live in Birkdale and he's fantastic company. I get on great with him. He's good as a lift now and again. And he, <laughs> Yeah, he's brilliant. So there's no animosity between me and Kenny Daglish Imagine at you all. Imagine you and you see Kenny Daglish and Ian Snowden in the same car. <laughs> <laughs> and Graham Stewart's there and there's Alan Hansen in there and there's, there's quite a few in, in Birkdale Village. Ro- Loro's in there as That's well. Goes so on. I get a few more yeah, extras in Birkdale yeah, Village. Think you'll uh, you'll, you'll know where to go you'll now. get a few for the podcast. <laughs> there yeah well that derby's famous from an Everton point of view for Kevin Sheedy's celebration given, yeah. the, given the cop the, the V yeah. how on earth did he get away with that I've listened to him do after dinner and he said it were 3-2-1 Ted Rogers but yeah. I know it weren't <laughs> I know what it were but uh, do you know what scoring I've, I've never remotely come close to scoring a goal in, a, in an Anfield or Goodison derby it must be fantastic because it's great to play in them they're not always classics, but it's great playing them. The, the tension, the fans. There's no better. There's no better game in in the world for me than a than a Merseyside derby. And um, for Kev to score a screamer like that, and he says they could have had two keepers in that day, and they were not saving that <laughs> one. And it was in the cop end, and I think I'd have done the same. Couldn't write it better. Could no, you, you couldn't. Dreams. You couldn't. It's you like to be. I, I look at Jaggy Elka's goal later oh. on the other the other season, the half volley into the cop end, and how he kept his calm. I don't know because that was to draw the game, yeah. kind of thing. But yeah, she's just uh, yeah went running to the cop. I think Adrian Heath did it one as well as he was <laughs> yeah. go, he was going to congratulate Sheeds I think he get it one well, to the, the cop there was one well. years later where Kevin Campbell scored at the cop and then Michael Bourne and Flying Jeffers are just like doing you <laughs> know doing a Sheedy <laughs> <laughs> no it's uh, it must be a fantastic feeling because the great game's playing but I've I've not come remotely close to scoring one mm. ok and f- uh, a month later May Everton Crown Champions at Norwich in, in what looked like a home game mm. you know to Evertonians there so you're five months into Everton career you've got a league championship winners medal how are you feeling there? Quite incredible. Um, I knew I knew they were a fantastic team. I knew I would join in a great side, and obviously you, you come to win win medals. And uh, I didn't think it would happen that quickly. Uh, but we were down in, uh, as you said, we're down in Norwich. And I've 
since I arrived at the club, the lads were always giving me a bit of stick over the clothes I used to wear, uh, being a Yorkshire lad and white socks, etc. So me and <laughs> me and Neil Point, even though he were from uh, Nottinghamshire area, me and Neil Point were the brunt of all the jokes for the gear we used to wear. Reedy used to think he were a fashion freak and sharp, he did, etc. Scousers haven't changed. Yeah, so <laughs> we, we, we used to get a bit of stick. So I, I recall, I swear, I, I remember, and I'll name the shop, we went to Next, I went to Next, and I thought, right, new pair of shoes, socks, boxers, everything, brand new suit, shirt, tie, the lot. I thought, I'll show these, <laughs> I'll, and I'll look immaculate. So anyway, when the game, we played the game, and uh, Pat Van now scored three minutes, and uh, we hung on for 87 minutes to win the to win the title down there, and the scenes were unbelievable. There were just Evertonians everywhere. It were it were fantastic. And you don't realise how big a club we are until you actually win something and you see all the fans and and that's why I pray that we, we win something soon because I think if if we parade a trophy I think this city will come to a standstill with with a blue. Well, there's almost a generation now that have that have missed out on that, isn't it? Absolutely You're just about obviously ninety five at the age of ten. But, you know, there's definitely a generation there, the younger generation, that have not been close. Well, it's right. It's like my, my lad's 32 himself and uh, my oldest lad, and he, he goes to the games, my middle lad and my youngest lad go. And they've, they've been down to Wembley and seen us in the cup semi-final against Man United, and they went, Dad, that is the greatest game I've been in for atmosphere and everything. I remember them coming on because I, I got three tickets and I thought, right, they've never been, they've never seen Everton at Wembley. They can all go. I just stayed at home, and I remember him coming home that night. My oldest lad were driving, and they were pipping the horn. It was twelve o'clock at night. I lived out in the country, and they were flashing the lights, <laughs> singing songs. And I went, "Wow, have you had a good time?" And I remember when they scored the the penalty, Jaggy Elka, and I rung them because I were on the settee, and I, I rung them, and all they did were just, just play the phone up for about two minutes, and I could hear the hairs on it, and it, it were incredible. So you're right. There's a generation that has missed that, and it will come to a standstill because that day down at Norwich was was unbelievable. There were, as I said, there were fans on the pitch. There were, it was brilliant, and I'd never, I'd never witnessed anything like that. I'd had promotion in my career with Doncaster twice, but to win the league title of Division One was just phenomenal. And the trip, the the atmosphere in the I'd never, I'd never had. A drop of champagne. I didn't even know what champagne was. Changed that night. Yeah, <laughs> from the Yorkshire, a mining village in Yorkshire. Like a bottle of beer, that were yeah. it. But champagne straight in the dressing room. I'm drinking champagne as though it's water. And I'm, I would, I would adrenaline's just sky high. Yeah, yeah, I were hammered before. Uh, I think before we even got the like, I would came in and celebrate. Yeah. So I remember my wife were picking me up at Burtonwood Services to take to take me back to Doncaster. And uh, the champagne were flowing and everything. It was brilliant. We had sing songs on the uh, on the coach. Terry Darracott were on the microphone <laughs> at the front saying, this is Everton Radio. And they were inviting all the players like one at a time to come up and sing. So you Class. had to go and sing a song and all the boys would join in. The beers were flowing. Howard was sat on the front telling Jimmy Martin to slow down because we were <laughs> on the way back. He said, Jimmy, slow down. And Jimmy... He'll tell you himself, Jimmy Martin was the coach driver then. Yeah. And he turned around and he said, Howard, I can't go any slow. I'm doing 40 mile an hour <laughs> on the inside lane and the motorway. <laughs> he went, slow it down, Jimmy, <laughs> even more. So it was unbelievable trip. And all I can recall, I had my suit on, the new gear, 
<laughs> and I'm sat at a card table with Sharpie and all that, and my jacket's on the uh, on back of the seat. I've got my shirt on, and we're playing cards and and drinking and singing, and the bus were rocking. And I remember getting to Birmingham. I, I must have crashed out. And the next thing I heard, Howard Kendall shouting, "Snods, Snods, we're here. Your wife's here." <laughs> and I woke up, Burton Wood, and I thought. I'm looking about thinking, God, I've slept here for about an hour and a half, to be honest. And the lads were still buzzing. So I remember him, as I say, shouting that. And as I got up, my gear just completely fell off me. The lads had <laughs> cut the lot up. They cut the sleeves <laughs> off my suit. suit. They cut my belt. They cut my trousers. They, they <laughs> threw my shoes out of the skyline. I'd, I'd got nothing left. So as I stood up, all my gear just dropped, <laughs> fell off, dropped to the floor. And I'm thinking, I'm drunk, I've got no clothes on. And next thing, Jimmy Martin opens the door. My wife yeah, sat at the car, we talking to Howard with the window down. <laughs> and he went, is he a love? And as I get to say, I've only really got my boxer shorts on and my bag. And she went, oh, my God, good journey. <laughs> and so I got in the car and that was it. Went back to Donny and then we, we got a couple of games left, obviously. But yeah. it was an unbelievable trip. And then that's when you realise what, not only why they are a good team, but the team spirit amongst amongst the boys was was mm. second to none. That dressing room, everybody would be in it for each other. Yeah. If there were anything on the pitch, the all the boys would be in. The camaraderie were were brilliant, and that's why they were so successful. They were not just a top team on the field, but off the field as well. Well, you mentioned Howard there. That brings yeah. us nicely to the to the following summer, mm. nineteen eighty seven, and Howard departed. Uh, a year late, a year prior, he was linked away to Barcelona. This time, he mm. went to Atletico Bilbao. Were you, were you gutted? Yeah, time? I was gutted uh, because I liked what I saw. I liked what I saw when he was trying to sign me. I liked what I saw in the dressing room of him. His man management skills was incredible. And it was a huge disappointment when I heard he were, he were leaving. I could understand it because of the European thing. Uh, but... Yeah, I, I was gutted in a way. So, no, do you know when you say man management skills, yeah. that, that, that phrase gets banned about a lot, yeah. doesn't it? You know, uh, 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 among a lot of managers. G- give me an example, give me a flavour for that. What, yeah. what was what was the, the skill that Howard had? Do you know what? I, I'd, I'd been, as I say, I'd, I'd only known Billy Bremner and he were, he were in your face if you'd had a bad game or you weren't doing things right. He'd be in the dressing room from two o'clock till kick-off time. But we Howard, when I when I first signed, um, I went in the dressing room and it was Colin Harvey that were in there giving all the set players out who to pick up from corners, etc. And I used to think to myself, where's the manager? Where is he? <laughs> yeah, I did. And I said to Sharpie, like, and, and the lads that I was sat around, Alan Harper at the time and that, and I said, where's the manager? And they went, oh, he don't come in till 10 to 3. And I went, what? He went, well, what does he need to do? We're winning every week. Mm. He said... Colin looks after all the other side of it. He just comes in, gives a little minute pep talk before we go out and just gives you a pat on the back and say, same again. But it weren't just that. He, he knew he knew how to get the best out of you. And he knew... When when you weren't doing it, used to, everybody used to say, oh, Howard were this and he were that. Howard could be hard. Howard could be... Colin Harvey were the one. He used to point the finger. But if you weren't doing it, Howard Kendall used to tell you. He used to say, what's wrong with you? And he'd put you in the chest and say, come on, I need more out of that. And you'd look at him and think, yeah, 
I'm having that. But see if you did well. Arm round you, give you a peck on the cheek and everything. You'll do for me some. And different players respond to different things. Some players like kick up the backside. Some players like a little bit of loving. Howard knew that exactly. That, that's almost dictated by your parents, isn't it? The yeah. way you've grew up. Yeah, and, it is. And I suppose Howard, from, from listening to you, Howard almost got to know the players so intimately that he knew what type of parent figure he had to be to that to that player to get the best out of them. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. He knows if Sharpie were on it for some reason and centre-halves uh, were coming through and winning headers, he was said to Sharpie, come on, big man, what? What's the problem today? Come on. Not like that. And it, like he'd encourage her, second half, he'd go out sharp, he wouldn't lose an header. Yeah. He'd put himself about, elbows would be flying and everything. He knew how to get the best out of each and every one of us. Mm. And I think that's, a, it's just an art. It's a skill. Well, Co Colin came in, Colin Harvey, yeah. as, the, as the new manager. Was it different right away that pre-season or was it a slow, a gradual change? Um, do you know what? Colin Harvey... Um, he pulled me in and said, I'm going to make captain of this football club, which I, I love calling to this day, always, always will do. We had those disagreements uh, at times, but I knew I respected him so much, not only as a player. My dad used to tell me, wow, what, what a player Colin Harvey were, even before I even uh, got to got to Everton Football Club. He always used to go on about the, th the three midfield players, my dad at Everton, that they were, they were brilliant before I even signed. So I knew all about them anyway. So I, I got so much respect for Colin as a person. Um, I knew I knew really that he weren't management material, but he needed he needed his chance. Why, why not give him a chance? But I'd rather, and I'm sure Colin would agree, uh, he'd rather be on the coaching field than taking telephone calls, in board meetings, etc. I don't think that was really Colin Harvey uh, wanting to do the, the other stuff, talking to media. He wanted to be out there every day coaching the players, uh, being involved with the players. And I think it was a little, little hard on him, but he had to give it a go. And uh, it didn't quite work out, but it weren't for the lack of the players trying for Colin Harvey. He uh, he was top man, and uh, yeah, I, I had many many fallouts with players uh, during during and when Colin was manager because I didn't think certain players were were given a the given their all, and and Colin will tell you himself, I was the first one to let them know. Um, I'd had many an argument, many a, of nearly fights in the dressing room over over certain players not wanting. To pull the finger out so uh, no I, I can't speak highly enough for Colin Harvey we spoke to Neville Southall in, in the summer and we asked him a similar question about Colin Harvey mm. and he said it breaks his heart to the day that it didn't work out for Colin because he was such an Evertonian it does me because the, the biggest thing I can recall as well I think I think we played Man United you know and Colin Harvey had a hip replacement and we knew he were in hospital so we went come on let's do it for the boss blah 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 and then next thing he appeared he he got himself out of hospital <laughs> for oh. that night. He looked terrible. <coughs> he shouldn't have even come out. He was supposed to be in for another four or five days at least. He discharged himself and he was sat. I, I watched it on YouTube and, and the camera went in on him and said, Colin Harvey, he, he's here tonight. And he was in a grey mic, sat at the back of the bo uh, director's box. And I thought, that shows what that That's man's all about. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's a few of us... Um, appreciate what Colin did for us yeah. during his career and we, we do wish it had worked out a lot better for him. Well, that, that season you scored twice against Newcastle <laughs> and Derby. Yeah. Broke it Everton Duck there. Yeah. But the team finished fourth. Mm. 
when the season ended, is that a disappointing season for you or is it not a bad season? No, I think it's it's always hard to retain the, the title, they mm. say that. When you when you win the league title, it's always hard. We we brought in uh we brought in several new players at the time and uh I think fourth were right. Uh, we didn't quite hit it off as and keep this unbeaten run going. We lost we lost a few games that we shouldn't have lost, etc. Um, whether some of the players were Everton players that we signed, don't really know, to be honest. It's not for me to say on that one, but I think fourth were the right position. Uh we weren't championship uh, we weren't champion material, but we were we were always there. We were still a good side. And uh yeah, we won a fair share, but yeah, it were a little bit disappointing, if I'm to be honest. Well, you, you say there we brought some new players in. The, mm. f- the following summer, 88, was was unbelievable. Um, Stuart McCall, Tony Cotty, Pat yeah. Nevin, Neil McDonald come in. Gary Stevens, Alan Harper, Derek Mountfield, Adrian Heath go out. At the time, were you thinking this is too much, the transition's too much, or was it was it needed? Or um, Obviously, I knew a lot about Tony Cotty uh, at West Ham, doing well, scoring goals. Peter Beagery were a flamboyant, flamboyant player. Uh, didn't really know mu- too much about him at the time. Uh, Neil McDonald, was he ever going to be an Everton player? I, I don't know. Pat Nevin, seen him Chelsea on TV, uh, played against him. Very exciting player. Uh, but I didn't know I was going to end up playing behind him because uh, <laughs> I went to right back. Uh, a little bit frustrating at times with Pat, but... Uh, Fantastic ability, great ability to beat players. Uh, so yeah, to see to see the lads that you mentioned going out of the club, uh, they were big players for Everton Football Club. And did we replace them with with the right players? Perhaps not. Um, it's that period of transition, isn't it? Which is difficult yeah. for any manager. Yeah, whether it you're is. Colin Harvey or whether you know Alex Ferguson. Every club goes through that period of transition where the old guards, if you like, have to eventually. Move on, and well, that's, well, it's that's same, tough, same it? now. Man United are going through yeah. that. Liverpool went through that a few years yeah. ago. Now, Man City went down to Division Division One, trying good yeah. few years ago. Yeah. So everybody goes through that period, then, and it is. It, but it's hard to take when you've when you've won the league in eight seven, and you're thinking, and all of a sudden you start going going further down, and uh, yeah, and like to be fair, when I were leaving the club in ninety four, then the Wimbledon game kind of thing, you realise in how many years, seven years, you've gone from champions to just staying up. So, yeah, things weren't the same, but um, just playing for this club just makes you want to give everything, whether whether you're in a relegation battle or whether you're winning the league. When you pull that shirt on and you, you walk down the tunnel and Zed Carl's just playing or you go away from home and see the thousands of fans because I've been quite lucky during my, during the teams that I played for because Doncaster, even though at a lower level, oh, we used to have a decent following. Leeds had a fantastic following away from home and Everton exactly the same. So I used to get a buzz out of running away down the tunnel and breaking off towards either the Leeds fans or the Everton fans and knowing that there's thousands turned up. But it used to, used to get you before the game. Really did, and I used to clench my fist and made sure that I went over and I get it, get it clenched fist. And even if he, if I didn't play well, I knew that I tried. Yeah. And I think for every Evertonian, if you, if you try, that's what we want. The, fans, get, yeah. the, ga- the game has changed, hasn't it? But it doesn't seem to be as many players who do relish that. 
You know, no. you look at the personalities, our difference, and obviously the media has changed things in the way that you have to act, etc. But you don't s- tend to see that many fans, uh, players, sorry, relish the, the support and relish the passion. Do you know what? I see Seamus Coleman doing it. Of course. He's the yeah, one. Yeah, I, yeah, see, yeah. I see Seamus doing yeah. it. And, and I, after speaking to Seamus <coughs> numerous occasions, he is desperate to win a trophy yeah. for the fans. Not for himself. He said, I'm not bothered about myself. Mm. Yeah, I come to I come to Everton to win things, but it's for the fans. And it is when it boils down to, it's nice to get a medal around your neck, but it's nice to see them see fans what celebrating. Th- to the masses. Yeah, and it, it gives you more pleasure to see them enjoying themselves and singing and dancing and celebrating than it, than it does for any medal to be around my neck. You said there you're playing right back now this mm. season. How did that come about? Because you were a central midfield player. Was it just Gary Stevens leaving, was it? Or no, what it were, Neil McDonald came in yeah. and he was playing right back. And to be fair, he, he didn't play that well uh, the first few games. And I was playing centre-back alongside Dave Watson. Kev Ratcliffe were injured. And I'd played more or less pre-season. Colin, to be fair, Colin had, had more or less agreed to sell me, you know, to Sheffield Wednesday for about 650000 and uh, he called me into the office. He said, look, things have not been going great in midfield for you, blah, blah, blah. He said, an opportunity to go back to Yorkshire. He said, um, I've spoke to Howard Wilkinson at Chef Wednesday and we've agreed a fee. It's up to you. And I just asked him there and then I said, Colin, I said, who have you, who are you bringing in to replace me in midfield? And no disrespect to this fellow. And I think he's a great lad. He did great for Everton with Stuart McCall. Now, I played against Stuart McCall for probably a dozen times for Bradford against Doncaster, Leeds against Bradford, and never once had I thought he'd ever had the better of me in midfield. And I went, I'm going to stay, Colin. And he went, I could, he, w- he was shocked. I went, I'm going to stay and fight for my place. If it's Stuart McCall, I'm going to stay. And Colin turned around and he went, fair play to you, son, no problem. Uh, but deep down, I was thinking, mm, yeah. God, I could have got 650 yeah. grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I weren't doing it in midfield at that time. So I bet, I bet he was a little bit gutted. I, I've asked him once, twice, and he went, no, no. But I, <laughs> I think he would have been. Or she wouldn't have agreed to sell me. But I thought, no down. If it's Stuart McCall, make it a battle between you and him to play in midfield. So Kev Ratcliffe got injured. And pre-season, I remember Tony Cotty coming and uh, Colin said, oh, I want you to play alongside Dave Watson, play centre-back, which I'd done since I was 18. I've, I played against Everton in a FA Cup tie in 84 when he's won it. We played him in the third round. I played centre-back against Andy Gray and Sharpie. So I'd played there loads of times when Bremner won had put me there, so I had no problem. So I started and we started pre-season. Cotty came, record signing, 3.5 million. And we played about three or four practice games and even Dave Watson went, my God, no, not too much. You found your position, mate. He hadn't had a kick. Class. And but I knew I I thought, well, what has he got on me, TC? He can't outrun me and I'm comfortable on the ball at the back. So I thought so Colin Harvey, fair play, said, Look, I'm gonna start you off at centre back and we beat Newcastle. Caught you got a hat trick. Mm-hmm. I played centre back that day alongside Dave Watson. They played the Brazilian Mirandina up front with John Robertson and I had a great game and then Colin went, right, you'll do for me. And first six games I played there, did really, really well. And then Keb Ratcliffe got fit, which I knew Keb were going to come back in. Wow, he's a club captain. He's best captain Everton's ever had kind of thing, most successful. So I knew we were going to come in. But I thought, well, how can Colin drop me? I've been playing, playing great. 
I'll kick his door down if he drops me. <laughs> I would have done. I'd have knocked on his door and I wouldn't have been happy. And I thought to myself, he can't leave me out. Anyway, he called me up on the Friday we played Southampton on the Saturday. Did you have your speech ready to go? Oh, <laughs> I was. I, he, well, Terry Dadacott went, Colin won't see you. And I went, all right, okay, I want to see him, no problem. And I'm thinking, he's going to leave me out. I know for a fact he is, but I'm going in with both barrels here. <laughs> so uh, he sits down, he went, how are you? I went, tell me. Please tell me you're not leaving me out. He went, calm down. He knew what I was like. I was fiery. He went, calm down, calm down. You're going to be playing, but not in that position. And I went, what position? He went, have you ever played right back? I went, no, never. He went, well, you're playing there tomorrow. And I went, serious? He went, yeah, it's got n not going great for Macker at the minute. He said, we've got a little problem at right back. Can't leave you out. He said, I want you to play right back. And I went, no problem. He said, are you sure? I said, no problem, I'll play I'll play right back. And then we, I remember playing Southampton, and again, I watched it probably four days ago on uh, on YouTube, and I got caught out for the first goal, even, I think it was Clive Tilsley, or it was, it was I can't remember the commentary, and he said, oh, Snowden's got caught out. We were only after about three or four minutes, and uh, in the end, Wallace got it, crossed it, and I think it was his brother, after three or four minutes, scored and we were one nil down and I thought wow it's my fault is it is it my position this <laughs> I'm thinking oh god never played here got caught out and then I think I set the second goal up on the fourth goal and I did okay and even coming off the lads went wow you found your position mate brilliant <laughs> the lad Colin Harvey and after after three months of playing right back Colin Harvey then phoned Bobby Robson and said, I've got the best right back in the country. He said, I think you should come and watch this fellow. He said, he's good enough. So in three months, Colin wanted to sell me to Chef Wednesday. <laughs> He'd moved me back, centre back, moved back to right back, and he's phoning Bobby Robson up and saying, he's... Uh, he's That's football, isn't it? It is but football. You know what? It's, it's, a, it's a great lesson for young players, because how many players in any age would have just... Do you know through the, not, not through the toys of the pan, but all right, I'll leave then. Yeah, it would have been easy for me. Yeah. Go back to Yorkshire. Um yeah, play for Sheffield Wednesday and all, all rosy, but why? I'm at the best club in, in Europe. Well, best club I could have ever wished to be at. And I didn't want to leave, and I thought, no, I'm going to get my head down and I'm, I'm going to fight here. So, and eventually it paid off. Well, the England call up, I know you never played, you mm. got injured, unfortunately, but what mm. was that squad like that just before the 1990 World Cup? We're talking Lineker, Gascoigne, yeah. Natal. What, what was that squad like? Yeah, it, it was good. I, I was nervous when I first went down. Uh, Gary Stevens, obviously, were at Rangers. He, yeah. was, he was in the squad. But Reedy said to me, uh, I, I travelled down with Reedy, and he said, here, oh, you have no qual. He said, I played with Gary Stevens for all these years. He said, I've played for England all these years. He said, you're well capable, mate, of uh, of dealing with this. He says, you're good enough. He said, believe in yourself. And I was a little bit apprehensive, a bit nervous. Uh, Brian Robson was captain at the time, who I, I admired as a player. I thought he was top, top draw. But um, I remember sitting next to him the first evening meal, the, the newest lads that are in the squad, and Brian Robson went, come on, sit next to me for evening meal. And taught me, made me feel comfortable and, and all the lads did it, it, it was great it was uh, Shilton was in goal uh, Terry Butcher as well were, were, were there at the time and yeah a lot of experienced players but uh, yeah, the, thankfully there were a couple of players Trevor Stephen were involved Gary Stephen, Peter Reid were involved at the time so I, I was comfortable around them and 
after training two or three days, we went. I remember that one of the games went to Albania uh, for a World Cup qualifier, and uh, I trained the four days, and I and I weren't involved. I didn't play, and and I thought, yeah, I can handle it at this level, no problem. I train with him every day, and I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable. Don't look out of place. I don't feel out of place. And then uh, they won the game against Albania four four or five one uh, four or five nil, and then coming back on the plane, um, Reedy said to me. He said he's been impressed with you in training, Robson, uh, Bobby Robson. He said uh, he's going to give you your debut in two weeks' time at Wembley against Albania. And I looked at him and I went, "Yeah." And he went, "Yeah." He said, uh, "He said he's going to leave Gary out. You're going to play right back. You're going to make the England debut." I went, "I was buzzing, mate." And I'm going, "Really? You're not winding me up?" Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm telling you, he's told me you're playing. Just change your suit before you leave. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, and before that, we played Chef Wednesday. At Goodison, and that's when I pulled my hamstring, and it was more than an hamstring pulling. But eventually, I had four operations out two year, and I was gutted because perhaps I might have gone on and played a few. Yeah, who knows? I might have gone and made twenty caps or something like that. But to stop you from playing, you knew you were a week away from making the England debut. We, it were a it's bit gutted, but I'm not one of them to think. What if? I got injured and yeah. what, yeah, and I could have <coughs> done this and I could have done that. I got back playing. I got back playing two years later for Everton. I captained Everton. So, yeah, usually disappointed that I didn't play for England because I think I could have done it at the time. I was playing well enough, but people get worse injuries than I had. Yeah, well, before we do move on to the 89 mm. season, we can't leave this season, unfortunately, without talking about the disaster at Hillsborough. Yeah. I know you weren't playing at no. the time, you, but you talk about it in your book, mm. it's not to the left, that you went down to Anfield deliberately wore a red tie to show yeah. you support from Everton Football Club was that I mean I can't even begin to ask how difficult that would have been is that a period that you look back on and just want to blank out or not really blank out because it means so much to this city uh, not only just to Liverpool Football Club where it happened but the way we responded as a football club the the old city I've talked to this city from the day I arrived here I'm a, <coughs> I'm a proud Yorkshireman always will be uh, if Yorkshire are playing, Lancashire at cricket, I want Yorkshire to win. There's no question about that. But the affinity I have for this city as a whole is, I, I don't think of, of Rotherham as my home. Donker, I, I think Liverpool now is is my home and I, I'll stay here till probably the day I die. Really will. Um, so, yeah, it, it means so much. And with me being injured at the time, I was asked to do quite a bit. And I remember being asked to go to uh, to Anfield to tie the scarves. And I was with Peter Beardsley, and I did. I wore the red tie purposely. I don't think I've ever worn one since, to be mm. quite honest. But uh, no, I purposely wore that, and I went up the cop end with Peter Beardsley, tied an Everton scarf to a Liverpool scarf to the railings of the cop end, and then obviously there was a chain right to Goodison Park. So... Uh, yeah, it was. I remember us playing at Villa Park. Remember us beating Norwich, but all in the back of your mind, the second half, especially when it was the same, still delays at Hillsborough. We didn't really know what was going on. So the euphoria of winning a semi-final and getting to Wembley was just nothing when we got in the dressing room. Yeah, you realise what had happened when at the end of the game uh, that there were lives lost and everything. So yeah, it was it was gut wrenching to be honest, uh, and. Yeah, you, you just feel you just feel part of it. Football's a massive, massive thing in this city, and the rivalry 
goes out the window when anything like that happens. And uh, yeah, it was great to be involved from an Everton point of view, but you just didn't want it to happen in that kind of way, to be perfectly honest. Well, football didn't stop that season. Mm. We had them in the FA Cup final as a group of players yeah. like inside the club. Is that an impossible situation to be in? <sighs> again, uh, injury again. I was on the bench. Um, I think the whole, the whole nation were behind Liverpool that, that day, which which were obvious, of course. But I think if there were to be a, a final, it, it had to be Liverpool and Everton that, fitting, wasn't it? that day. Yeah, <coughs> uh, It meant so much to football. It meant so much to the city that the two teams went out. But let me tell you, when that whistle went... Everything's forgot. Well, not everything's yeah, forgot. Of course, no, you can't no, say I that. It's no, a football no. match. It's a football yeah. match. Yeah. And it went until after, obviously, Liverpool beat us 3-2 and they were celebrating. But then even the Liverpool fans and that realised that, yeah, it was a big Merseyside picture, yeah. final. Yeah. So, yeah, for that 90 minutes, it weren't forgotten. You, that's the wrong words, but it was a football match. It's almost like it's more intense when you become more personally associated with people. Like when you play footy against your best mate, whatever level it is, yeah. you're more determined of course to, you to are. beat them, aren't you? Yeah, of course you are. And, and, and it's like the build-up to it and, and afterwards as well, you remembered what it were all for and what it was all about, sadly. We're moving on into the 89-90 mm. season. Uh, again, it was a, another busy summer. Bracewell, um, Trevor Stephen, Pafans and how moving on, and then Peter Beagrian and, and Martin Keown coming in. Um, before we talk about the season in general, were you around for the, the famous scrap in, in the Chinese? Do you know what? I just left. <laughs> I, I'm usually one at last to leave, as <laughs> I really am. And I was I was with Sheeds, and Sheeds was probably m- my best mate, uh, him and Neil Poynton, uh, and Sharpie were probably the three that I got on famously well with. And uh, I recall being sat there with Sheeds and uh, and I'd had enough by then. It must have been getting on for 10, 11 o'clock. From I say it must have been late of you. That yeah, from a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, from a, yeah, I think we started about 2 o'clock, <laughs> half one in the afternoon, oh. and it must have been 11 o'clock. And I just recall that, yeah, it's time for me to go. And I just said, Sheeds, we were playing golf next day at <laughs> Southport and Ainsdale. Don't be late. Me, Kev Sheedy and Sharpie and Jimmy Gabriel. <laughs> and uh, I said, see you tomorrow. And I'm thinking, how, how are we all going to see a ball tomorrow? In mind, play golf. So uh, he said, yeah, no problem. And then I heard nothing more of it. And then we were, me, Sharpie and Jimmy Gabriel were waiting at Southport and Ainsdale for, uh, for Kev. And uh, I kept thinking, it's not like Kev to be late. So I phoned his wife up and I said, hey, Deb, I said, we're waiting for Kev. He said, oh, he's just gone to hospital. I said, hospital, what for? Or he were at hospital uh, last night, blah, blah, blah. So I went, what for? She went, oh, didn't you hear? Weren't you there, Ian? I went, where? She went, out having a drink. I said, yeah, but I, I left. I said, and Kev were all right when I left. She went, oh, there were a bit of trouble there and uh, he's got stitches in his eye. And I went, what? <laughs> so she went, oh, I'll let him explain. So when he when he eventually turns up yeah. for his golf, wow. <laughs> but he had sunglasses on, like, and I'm going, What's happened to you? And he just raised his sunglasses and uh, I went, what's happened? And he explained what had happened with Martin and they'd had a fallout kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, Martin was a big, strong boy. He could handle himself. And I'm going, right, I'm seeing him tomorrow. I'm going (laughs) to sort it out. And he's going, leave it out. He'll kill you as well. And I'm like, (laughs) no, I'm going to see. And I did front him next morning. I'm thinking, he's going to kill me in a minute. But I stood up to him and I'm going, yeah, out of order, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, he just one of them things that had snowballed the argument. and and Yeah. Yeah. 
well, well, that season you played 35 times. Mm. Um, Everton ends up finishing sixth, 20 points eventually behind the, the champions. Um, at the team almost at that point, it's fair to say the team has almost become unrecognisable from the championship winning team. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, we still have, in my eyes, the best keeper I've ever seen, the best keeper in the world. He was still in goal, uh, obviously. Got a couple of young lads in there, as David Unsworth and um, John Ebrels, etc., at the time. But yeah, you, it, it was a big transformation. Uh, we, we were. We were struggling a little bit. What did bit. you feel as though you lacked more than anything else? I don't know, but without speaking about individuals, because yeah. that's not fair and it's difficult to put to, to put your finger on, but is there a particular characteristic of that team that was lacking? I think if you have a look at Everton from 84 till 87, there were loads of winners in them team. Uh, you could name them, name them all. I don't think we had too many winners in our team uh, at the time that were prepared to roll the sleeves up and to have a real good go kind of thing. Great individually, good mm. good players, but I think collectively we weren't as strong, nowhere near as strong as we were in them in the eighties or even before I arrived. They weren't I think from eighty four till till I arrived, they were far better than when, when I did arrive. Um they were phenomenal to watch. They were aggressive. They could they could outplay teams, they could outfight teams. And I think we'd we'd lost that. Uh, starting starting the 90s to be honest and we were getting turned over by teams that we shouldn't have been getting turned over and did it hurt people enough perhaps not sounds very similar to the, some of the current circumstances doesn't mm. it but no it, it it is underestimated that isn't it I'm, I'm glad you've said that mm. and, and I kind of looked at that and from that perspective because everyone talks a lot about ability and skill and, and this that and the other but I'll, I'll put you straight I, d- yeah. I, I wasn't I wasn't skillful I wasn't I wasn't the greatest player in, in, in the world, but what what I did is try to give hundred well, the hundred and ten, but hundred percent every game, uh, win every title that I, I had to. I know I had bad games and I've had good games, but I think what what you can what you can't get away with at Everton Football Club is hiding, is not rolling your sleeves up, and I made the most out of being limited in in skill wise to just going out there and, and having a good go. And I think if you've got, if you've got, ten players that are all skillful, and good to watch, then good. But that don't win you much. Look, it don't win you much. If you've got, it's like you look at Roy Keane at Man United. He used to drive them on every game. You listen to his interviews now. He can be a bit annoying at times, but wow, you know what you're getting. If he weren't pulling your weight, you used to get that finger point. And that's what it were when I joined Everton. If you weren't pulling your weight. Reedy get onto you, Kev Ratcliffe would get onto you, Dave Watson would get onto you, Sharpie would have a go. There's about five or six queuing up. Hey, come on, this ain't good enough. Yeah. Well, I hate to speak about them in between these walls, but the, the, a lot of the stuff you're saying almost sounds it's like Jamie Carragher, isn't it? Yeah. Even going back to the whole trying Everton trying to sell me, and I've said, no, I'm staying, I'm going to find me a place, yeah. I'm better than them. No, I, how I many times do we hear them stories? You've and got to have characters like that in your team, and I don't like talking about the other side, but <laughs> Stephen Gerrard... Mm. I wish he'd have been in a blue shirt course, for all yeah. his playing career because yeah. you know what you're getting out of him, Carragher, etc. But yeah, you need winners in your team. You really do. And when things are not going well, come on. It's all right when things are going well and you're going, come on, boys, let's keep it going. It's when they're not going well. That's when you need your characters in your team. And uh, 
yeah, I'd got a bit of that in me. Well, speaking of things not going well, between 1990 and 1992 it was a difficult few years with your, your hamstring mm. injury, as you spoke spoke about earlier. In terms of that injury itself, was it just the hamstring? Was it was it kind of other bits going when you were trying to recover? No, it, it was basically my hamstring. Um, I'd, had, I'd had an operation. I went down to London for the operation. Uh, and I knew it was bad because you know, what I've learnt now, and I'd never had a really injury before I got this injury, and I knew it, and I know now, when you get an hamstring strain, sometimes you can even jog off the pitch. And I got this, I got this big bang in me in my right leg. And I thought, wow, that's so. And as I went down, I couldn't really get up. And the physio come across a lad called Chris Goodson at the time, and he come across and he's going, "What is it?" I said, "It's my hamstring, but Chris, it feels worse than that." It's like it really, really, really went. He went, well, let's stand you up. And I couldn't really stand up. So the next thing, he, he called, and it went over the far side at Lower Bullings, and he called for a stretcher. And I automatically said, I ain't getting on that. Because I didn't want to show the fans, and I didn't want to show my own players, that I've supposedly got an hamstring straight, or hamstring pull, and I'm getting on a stretcher. Surprise. If Yeah, it yeah. was pride. And I thought, if I'm better in two weeks' time, all the lads are going to say, Oh, I getting stretched off. Look so at the mentality now. The difference, in, and, I, and in I did. I says, and and I've got the pictures in my scrapbook where there was a youth team coach called Graham Smith. And uh, Graham Smith was my lecturer at uni. Yeah, was it? Yeah, yeah he yeah. said, yeah. yeah. So Graham Smith run on the pitch and the physio, and I went, I ain't getting on that stretcher. And they both put me in their arms and they walked me around the Gladys Street end, right down the tunnel and into the dressing room because I wouldn't get on that stretcher because I thought. I'm not having the lads having a go at me, <laughs> kind of thing. And it were until uh, I went down and um, after about two weeks, it was just getting no better whatsoever. I went down to see a specialist in London. Uh, i never forget his name, Mr. Basil Alal. And, he, and he, he, he did surgery on all the Olympics uh, teams. I think he'd, he'd uh, done Tessa Sanderson a couple wow. of weeks before on a, on a shoulder. So he did mine and then still after three or four uh, after five or six weeks i thought it ain't right this and uh, i ended up having another four operations and it ended up being i was going to paul bracewell had gone out to harvard university with his ankle for re uh, recuperation and uh, rehabilitation and the doc had arranged for me to go and have a, a last operation he said, this, this is your last chance i've had three and I knew, and I was getting a bit fed up. I said, Doc, it's not working, this. Dr. Irving, who was recently left, said, it's not working, this, Doc. He said, look, we've got one more chance. He said, I'm going to send you to America, have an operation, do your rehabilitation over there. Hopefully, it will cure you. I said, fair enough. So we went to Liverpool University for a special scanner. This new scan had come out, and he said, we'll try this first. He said, and if we see anything or what, we'll send it to America with you. So he called me back. I had the scan in the afternoon and he called me at seven o'clock at night. He said, I want you to come in. And I went, why, what's the problem? He went, I found the problem. So I'd been London twice. I'd been to Middlesbrough for my operations and Liverpool University found it. I broke the bone in my hamstring attachment. Wow. And it had been there apparently all the time. So the hamstring had pulled off, the bone had broken. The hamstring had tibia, if you right in the backside area of, wow. your, of your bum where your hamstrings attached oh, okay. had broken. So my hamstring 
kind of broken. Well, and every time I was trying to go half pace, I was trying to get back and rehabilitate. And every time I was going above half pace, obviously this this bone had broke and it mm -hmm. was just tearing my hamstring again. Oh my word. So in the end, he said, right, we're going to do the operation here in Liverpool. And I went, Doc, are you sure? <laughs> All I'm, I'm, I'm planning to go to America. Let yeah. them in America do. And they cured it in Liverpool. Wow. I had the operation and it took me another four months to really get up to, to speed where I had to do strengthening work down at the university every day. Uh, and it was laborious, to be honest. Every day I was down there doing strengthening work. And I did eventually get back after four months. But yeah, it would have Yeah, proper rehabilitation. It's the most boring thing in the world, oh, isn't it? Absolutely. It were every day the lads were just going out training now, we're getting in my car, going down to university. And you're like doing things like this, lifting your leg it. up really doing slowly, you know, what's doing hamstring strains, hamstring yeah. uh, stretches and honestly it it was the most boring four months, but it had to be done because m the weakness in my right hamstring compared to my left was probably fifty percent down. The uh, they got them both on, uh, did both both legs and I was 50% down I thought I, w I weren't far away from being fit and they went until that you he said you'll never get the strength back to 100% he said until you reach 93 94% on this good leg you ain't going back training wow. I eventually got it and got back training but yeah it would have broken bone I think um, he had it recently as well Michael Owen he had the same problem oh, he okay. broke a bone in his and he was out quite a bit and he, nobody had really heard of it before then and then the doc got in touch with Liverpool and said, uh, Snod's had that years and years ago. He and says in his book, were. Michael Owen, I've just read it on holiday, he said he was never the same. He said he was only younger at the time, so it took a few years, but yeah. the deterioration eventually just caught up. Well, I, I I, was quite quick, and I ended up still being quick, but yeah, definitely lost a, a yard yard or two of pace through that. Um, not that the, you, you're worrying about it going again. You're just two years out, and your hamstrings... You've the aged same. in the meantime. Yeah, of course you have. The hamstrings are not the yeah. same kind of thing. So, yeah, I, perhaps I were never the same either. I, I can understand why why he's saying that because I were flying until until that actually happened. Well, in the meantime, um, there was um, Collins Collins sacking in um, November 1991. Howard's obviously mm. returned, and, and we obviously spoke about Colin when when we when we met him, and he spoke about that difficult day or couple of days when. You know, you've been asked to come back as as Howard's number two. Mm. What was your feelings on it? Because obviously you've spoke a little bit about both men. Um, were you disappointed to see Colin step down? <sighs> well, step down. Or was you, was you difficult disappointed with that? Yeah, situation? personally, I was I was I was gutted, but I felt it was the right right thing to do. And then when I heard Howard Kendall coming back, I was absolutely made up. I thought there's nobody better. And then the news were that Colin's coming back as his number two as well. I thought perfect. Back to where Everton wanna be. Yeah. We've got the best number one and the best number two for in my eyes for Everton Football Club. So I was I was gutted for, for Colin in a way, but absolutely delighted that I would wanted him back because the pair of them working together was, was fantastic. How did the rest of the lads take it? Because obviously there was a lot of players around then mm. who had not been in that title winning team but were looking at it, maybe thinking was there any apprehension? Was that fair to say or was it was it just I know, I know you should look at it from a team point of view, but I didn't look at it like that. I looked at it from a personal point of view, and I thought, it'll do for me. That's all you can do, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and if everybody thought that way, then you just get on with it. Yeah. Now, if a manager ain't your cup of tea, that's life. Like, certain managers come and they fancy you and they don't fancy you, but 
you kind of you kind of not playing for him. Yeah, you play for yourself and you play for your fans and you play for your club first. And if you're doing them three things right, you're pleasing the manager anyway. So for me, the, I don't see a manager and think, yeah, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna play for him. I ain't playing for him. I'm playing for me, the fans, and the club. Shit. And and get them three things right, and the manager's pleased with you anyway. So. Was it tough to see Colin in a different light? It was only a week. He was the yeah, gaffer, then he was the coach. Yeah, some people had said, but I, I thankfully I had him as my coach. Yeah. So for him to go back to a coach, I'd seen it. But it must have been hard for some of the boys to be calling him boss, and then two weeks later, Colin, kind of thing. So yeah, it must have been hard. But Colin's Colin's a proud man, and he wouldn't have affected Colin. In any way, and, le- and let's be honest. And he said that it was the role he enjoyed, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, he did. That he felt comfortable in. Yeah, he did. There were no more having to speak to press, having to phone the directors, having to do this and do that. Colin Harvey just put his tracksuit on and were, were out on the field, and that's what he loved most. And, and he had the same attitude. And I as think you. it would have wanted to do yeah. for the club. Didn't and it? I think it would a big weight off his off his mind, off off him, that he were going back to something that he loved, and he were working with a fella that in Howard Kendall that they both got on great. There's a couple more things that, yeah. that went on in that season, but there's one one story in particular that we want to speak to you about. And it's about um, the advice that you give to Mark Ward in one <laughs> of his first training <laughs> sessions. Well, do you know what? I was with Nev uh, at a Legends tour uh, before the Sheffield United game on the Friday, <laughs> and we we actually spoke about it. And uh, it went back it went back years ago when I first signed. Kev Sheedy came up to me and he he just said, but Neville had already pre warned me. Um, he, he put his arm around me and said when, and there were nobody about all the lads were playing pool and having a cup of tea and I went down to uh, to sort my boots out with the with the apprentice who were looking at him and see where my kit were and Nev were the first in and the last to lead training so he, he was already stripped and ready I went in and he, he just put his arm around me he said I want to give you some advice on snods and I went yeah, big man, I'm thinking Neville Southall, the world's best goalkeeper. Where's just wisdom? arrived at club. <laughs> He's got his arm around me, wanting to give me some advice. And I went, what's that big fella? And he went, don't ever try and chip me in training. <laughs> and I thought, I looked at him and I thought, that's a bit strange. But being at a new club, and even though I were full of myself, I'd Captain Leeds, Captain Donny, and I, I were a buzz in the dressing room all the time at Leeds and that, when you come to a new club, and you've got players of international and world-class level. Nev like, tells you that then. Yeah, <laughs> and Nev speaks to you. Do you take notice? And, he, and I went, why is that? He went, because I'll kill you. <laughs> and I went, all right. He said, nobody takes the mess out of me in training by chipping me. I went, okay, Nev. Uh. So none of the lads knew this. And then when we were in training, Kev Sheedy came up to me and we were playing possession. We'd just finished possession. And <coughs> Howard shouts, uh, right, shoot in, boys. Get a ball each. And then that's when Sheeds appeared on my shoulder and he went... Snods, snods. After a bit, of, after a bit of time, Big Nev comes off his line. He said, "Just chip him. He's made for the chip." And I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> he's just pre-warned like me about two yeah. hours ago. I thought there's <laughs> no way. And I went, "Yeah, all right." I didn't want to say it to Kevin as well. So I went, "Yeah, okay." So shooting practice came, and the lads were like that. Sheedy's like that. He's off his line. Snods. He's off his line. I'm thinking, there's no way I'm even <laughs> going to attempt it. So I scuffed one into his arm, and she's went. And I, so I told him he pre-warned to. me, right. and. Uh, and they went, oh, I said, why does he go mad? They went, oh, he goes off his head. He said, if any of us chips him, he said, he goes off his head, boots the ball down the field. I said, just wants to fight us kind of thing. So I'm thinking, and you're telling me to chip him. So so then the more confident you get, the longer you've been here. 
I was like buzzing in the dressing rooms. I was one of the lads that had a bit of fun and that. And Mark Ward came, and I thought, if there's anybody would chip, Neb, it's Ward. He He'll do. thinks he's he's from Ireland. He thinks he's a little hard case and all that. He's got the got the swagger and all that, and he's got he backs it up with his his bravado and all that. So I thought, if there's ever a man who'll chip him, it's Wardy. So uh, anyway, we. Howard loved him because he had him uh, like he was there as a young kid at Everton and Howard loved him. He brought him back from Man City, etc. So You've been really thinking about this, oh. aren't you? <laughs> so elaborate thought, plan. If there's anybody who would do it, it's Wardy. So uh, we're training one morning. I went, Wardy, I said, the big fella, I said, he loves it, loves it. He said, comes off his line, thinks he's really confident. I said, he's made for the chip, mate. I said, after, the, after five or ten minutes, I said, he keeps encroaching and that. I said, he's made for the chip. And I, I swear, he just went, right, lad. He said, I'll do it. <sighs> so I left it for about two or three minutes, went back to the lad. I said, he's going to do it, boys. He's going to do it. So next thing, ball each, I would shout. Ball each, shooting. So next thing, <laughs> now starts to drift off his line after about five or ten minutes. So I went to Wardy. I tapped Wardy. I went, Wardy. He went, Here's your chance. I didn't even have to say what I tapped him. I went, Wardy. He went, I've seen him, lad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, please. So next thing, he's just run up, laid one into Howard. Howard's laid it back, and he's run up full pelt. Nev's on his six-yard line, and he's just stopped at the last minute and just chipped him. Ah, oh, it's perfect. All the lads have got the back towards him, going, please go in. And we're all giggling like that, Denture. And it's gone over Nev's head. We were talking about it today. It's gone over Nev's head. And we've all turned around and started laughing, and Wardy just licked his finger. I went, pick that out, big fella. Oh. <laughs> so Nev's just seen it. He's watched it. He could have saved it. And he's watched it go over his head into landed into there. He just stood on his six yard line, took one glove off, took other glove off, and he went to Wardy, run. <laughs> <laughs> and Wardy went, what? what are you on about, big fella? He went, run, you're dead. <laughs> well, all of us are laughing, and Wardy's thinking, is he serious? Next thing, Nev starts to run after him. So Wardy's <laughs> jogging away. And he's going, come on, fatty, oh. to Nev. And Nev's going, I'll give you fatty, I'm going to kill you when I get you. <laughs> so they're chasing each other, and everybody's watching, and we're all laughing. And next thing, Colin's going, right, enough's enough, no, no, no. So Wardy just stopped. He went, all right, I'll accept my punishment. So big Nev's picked him up. He's threw him on the floor, and he's punched him in ribs, as hard <laughs> as, as hell. Anyway, Wardy's going, oh. Anyway, he's in agony, Wardy, and he, was, he had to go in seat physio. And... Uh, <laughs> It comes out in the echo next day. Mark Ward will be out with a severe hamstring strain for four for four weeks. Oh my God. He, he broke, broke two rib. ribs. Wow. Two ribs. It's in Wardy's book. We talked about it the other day with Nev. Nev went, you shouldn't have chipped me. Just <laughs> as simple as that, but he broke Wardy's two ribs. So we were out for four or five weeks with broken ribs. Well, there was one on the pitch against uh, Bradford in 97. Where Remember Kachowski that? Where just lost it. And Waddle, Waddle. Southall. Right. And Southall looked at Kanchowskis as if to say, run. Did and he? that was in the game. <laughs> I can remember that scene when he just looks, he watches the ball oh, over yeah. his head. Oh, he and doesn't. it's almost like that, like he looked as though he could save it. Yeah. As, as in disbelieves that someone's trying to love me. Because he'd oh, come he out to help Andre, and Andre had lost it, and he was in no man's land. It <laughs> oh, he don't like being chipped, big Nev. <laughs> no. Well, let's moving on into the 92-93 season, it, it seems as though your problems, injury problems were behind you. Mm. You played 19 games that season, and includes a screaming at Sellers Park. Do you remember that goal? Yeah, in front of about three, <laughs> three and a half thousand <laughs> fans. Um, Unbelievable scenes. Yeah, I played midfield that day. Uh, we'd, we'd got Peter Beersley in the team by then. Who, oh, I became great pals with. Um, we, 
apparently he didn't used to room with anybody when he were at Liverpool and that liked his own room. But me and Pete used to, uh, the, the day he signed, he phoned me up and said, do you want to share cars? So we, we shared, he would drove one day, I drove the other, and we became really, really close pals, me and, me and Pete. We ended up rooming together, and I got on with him famously well. Great, not only a great fella, I thought, but unbelievable, unbelievable player. player. Unbelievable, probably... Yeah, I mentioned the best eleven I've played with, and he's he's in it. Uh, there's no question about it. He's he, a fantastic player, but I got on fantastically well with him. And I, I remember watching the game, uh, playing the game. Sorry, and I'm thinking there's nobody here. I think three thousand four hundred or something. It was like a nighttime that. game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. nighttime yeah. game. Uh, Wimbledon were uh, playing at Sellers Park Parcels at the time. Yeah. Uh, so they didn't have many fans anyway, the cells. Uh, we took about, I think we had about 1,500 down there. And, uh, yeah, it was a boggy night. And, uh, yeah, I remember being slotted through and finished it into the bottom corner. And as I run off, I'm thinking, well, where do I run? <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody here. <laughs> so, but I've, I've scored against Link, uh. Lincoln in the cup, Rotherham in the cup, Bradford in a cup game. Uh, no really massive games. And I scored a, I scored a decent goal. And there's 3,000 there, and I'm running around thinking, and everywhere I seemed to run to celebrate, <laughs> there were nobody there. <laughs> so I think I did a full lap of honour before I got to some fans, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, I, re I remember I remember that. And, uh, yeah, it was a great, great win. And I'll never forget it because it was in the Salmon and... Uh, salmon and Pink. Salmon and well, he called it Salmon and Pink. Yeah, that's salmon, Pink, Salmon, Pink and Navy. Yeah, that's that was right. a great kit, that way, Yeah, it was. And, uh, yeah, I scored in that kit. Brilliant. Um, it was another good, really memorable game that season as well. Um, Merseyside, Merseyside, Vic uh, Merseyside derby victory where Beardsley and Mo Johnson were on the score sheet. Do you remember that one too? Yeah, one? I did. I'd just, come, I'd just come back from injury as well and uh, Howard said through the week, I'm playing you. And I think, I think I'd been out for about three weeks. I, I don't know whether it was suspension or injury or line, but I remember training on the, on the Tuesday and he said, how are you feeling? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling all right. He said, well, I'm going to play you. And I went, what? He said, I'm going to play you. And uh, Barnes with a winger. And I thought, Jesus, of, of all people, you, you don't. I played against him a few times, and he, he was a top player. <laughs> I'm thinking, you don't need this coming back. You want to be on your, sharp, you yeah. get your sharpest, yeah, don't you? you want to have played at least three or four games. But he, he went, no, I'm playing you right back. And, yeah, remember game. Brilliant. Yeah, under the lights. I did all right. Uh, and then they were just about to make a change. Um, Mark Walters were then coming on. And I could see that I was getting a little bit tired. So he brought me off when the winner went in. And uh, I remember being on the bench. I think I come off after about 60, 65 Was minutes. it 1-1 when you came yeah. off? Yeah. And then I came off and I remember being sat in the home team uh, dugout. And then Beardsley scored the goal. And if you ever see it and watch it, he runs down the tarmac and he's coming to me and we give each Class. other high five and I'm like, I get it. Yeah. And yeah, it were incredible. Uh, were Graham Soonest the manager? He was, yeah. yeah. But the best thing was, Beardsley scored in front of their fans. That's <laughs> and right, he, just he did. Them for, yeah. yeah, he did. And <laughs> he, he did, he run down the thing, give me high five. And I remember after the game, I am so pumped up and I'm effing and blinding going down the tunnel. And I'm going, we beat these red so-and-sos. Yeah. And I'm swearing my head off. And, and I turns around and Graham Soonis went, shut up. <laughs> and I kind of looked and I went, 
F off. <laughs> and as I said it, I started to walk a bit quicker. I thought, I don't want him after me. Yeah, yeah. So I told him what to do, and then I thought, let me get an address. <laughs> right, and I'm like, go and shove it and I'm all that. But, uh, no, there's no messing with Sue and the Sizzler. <laughs> but uh, oh, it was a great, great feeling, uh, even though, I'd, as I say, I were, on the, I were on the bench when the winning one goal went in. Well, you just mentioned two players I was going to ask. Well, you mentioned one of the two players then I was going to ask you about in Peter Beardsley. Mm. Mo Johnson, obviously, who got a goal that night. He, he had a label of being a flop. Might, it might be one word that mm. was used, but a bit of a nutter as well. What, what, what yeah. was your perception of Mo? I think anybody who signs is signs for Rangers when he's a Scotsman must be a nutter <laughs> in the first place, to be honest, be, with all the rivalry there. The, he had not been known, and Mo, Mo were big news when he when he signed for Rangers. I think it was Sooners who signed, su- signed yeah. Morris. So when he came here, I knew he were a flamboyant, uh, bleach blonde hair, and then although he loved the party time. But one thing I can say about Mo Johnson is... All right, he, he, his performances weren't brilliant in an Everton shirt. He didn't score that many goals, but it weren't for the lack of trying because Mo, in training every day, would run his socks off. Every game, even if it weren't going for him, he'd work hard. And I, I kind of respect that. And he, and he, he knew he weren't, he, he weren't performing. At the levels he wanted to be. Yeah, yeah but he, w- he wouldn't show that. And, and every day he were working hard. Yeah, he, he did love his, his time away from the ground and he loved he loved the champagne something mm-hmm. i i mm-hmm. weren't a lover of as i've <laughs> said but he loved his champagne he loved it he loved uh, uh going out and enjoying himself but even if he'd been out on a night before he used to come in and he'd train his socks off he'd run it off and he he'd, he'd put a shift in so i've, I've a lot of time for maurice johnson well there's one more question and mm. it centers around that game again and the man who got man of the match that night, which is Billy Kenny, yeah, um, kind of falls into the category of what you were talking about. Then, is it is it fair to say that, that Billy was one of the big wasted talents? I feel so sorry for him uh, because I remember him being around the dressing rooms at sixteen, seventeen, as an apprentice. Always had something to say. Always chirpy in front of the first team, and I thought got a bit about him. This kid, not only can he play, but he's got. He's streetwise. There's no question about it. He was streetwise. He must have been streetwise when he was about four year old, Billy, <laughs> because he was so confident, yeah. not only in his own ability, um, but just around us. When he come and train with us at 16 year old, you thought, wow, he's got everything. He was a street street player. Yeah. Really. You know, Scotty ab- Rose absolutely played with all the big kids from when he was a baby. It's player. like he didn't think he had to do any jobs around ground with all apprentices. He used to, like, come and sit with the pros and, and talk. Yeah, yeah, he was. And he just used to come and talk. And I said, Billy, you're supposed to be clear. I'm not doing that. I'm staying here with you lot and that kind of thing. And I, I, I've got to tell you a story. We, I, I was watching the youth team. I think they were playing crew or somebody like that. They were, uh, the A, A team, it were called then. Jim Barron was the manager. And uh, I'm stood watching it. And crew were two or three up at half, half time. And we were poor. And we had John Doolan, who's scouting now. Yeah, John, yeah. John, uh, John Doolan. Uh, Neil Moore with the centre-half at the time. J- uh, Jamie Spear wow. with the goalkeeper at the time. And it was that t- that team. And I stood there watching it. I'm thinking, God, we've been awful today. Anyway, Jim Barron said, before we were playing at home, and he said, Snod, before you go down to Goodison, uh, he said, will you come in dressing room and just tell me if I'm saying something wrong to these lads after the game? So I went, yeah, no problem. So I just went in, 
and I just kept my mouth shut, just stood there. And Jim Barron went round the team and he went, Jamie Spear, he said, you've caught nothing today. You've not talked to blah, blah, blah. You've defence, you've not done this. He said, get down to Goodison after this game, when you get ready. He said, and watch Neville Southall. Watch how he commands his box. Watch how he talks to his back four. Watch how he throws the ball out. You watch him. So he said to John Doolan, John Doolan, right back at time. He went, have you seen him play? And he pointed at me. And John Doolan's like 16, 17. He went, yeah. He went, see how he, he accepts ball. See how he opens his body. See how he goes on overlap. See how he does that. I'm a bit embarrassed, man. I'm yeah, stood yeah. there and I'm thinking, all right, Jim, shut up. So he's going, you watch him when he plays. You watch him, son. You'll learn. Says to big Neil Moore, Morrow, you've not won an edder all day. He said, nothing. He said, you're going up, your shoulders are on. He said, get down to Goodison, watch Dave Watson. He said, you're the same kind of player. I don't want you to play balls from the back and get it off the keeper. He said, go and edit, go and tackle it, watch Dave Watson. Well, he got to Billy Kenny, and Billy Kenny sat down there with his head, head down. And he went, Billy, Billy, lift your head up. So Billy, like kind of 17-year-old, lifts his head up. He went, Billy. What was that today, son? Trying to knock my players on edge of your own 18-yard box. Going for one-twos that weren't there. Pulling out of tattles. He went, get down to Goodison, son. He said, and watch Mike Milligan. He said, watch how he goes. And Billy just stopped him in mid He went, you what? Watch Mike Milligan. <laughs> he said, are you having a laugh, Jim? He said, he should have been here watching me today. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God. He was right, like, yeah. to be fair, because Millie weren't the greatest well, ever. The, but the names you were mentioning there. But, <laughs> and but that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he went, you are. He said he should have been here watching me, and I, you knew what Billy Kenny were all about. But let me tell you, that night, he was fantastic, Billy Kenny. And it's so sad uh, to see him. He, he, he were a great lad, and it was just unfortunate. Um that he got in the wrong circles and mixed with the wrong people because he could have been one hell of a player for Everton Football Club. Well, we are obviously across the park podcast and you just mm. talked about one of, your, one of your great pals, Peter Beardsley. Yeah. Before we do move on uh, from this period, if you like, did Peter ever speak to you about the, the move, moving across from Liverpool to Everton? What was his... He just felt that he weren't wanted at Liverpool. Uh, okay. I think it was Graham Souness that, uh, that he just said I, I didn't feel wanted. Uh Howard wanted him, he said, and uh, he said, why should I move? Everton Football Club don't need to move house. He said, it's a mile from, from Liverpool's ground. Uh, Everton want me. He said, no animosity, you're leaving Liverpool. I think he'd done everything Liverpool wanted him to do. Uh, so he said, yeah, I had no qualms uh, about coming here. Did Sooness not want him to go to Everton? Wants him to go elsewhere? Well, he, he yeah, he said he'd like to go to but... He said, I, I were to decide. It's my yeah, career. If I wanted to sign for Everton Football Club and Howard Kendall wanted him, he said, I, I, I was signing. Mm. And he said, so it didn't bother me. And Peter were, were that kind of person. He weren't bothered what anybody else said. He did what Peter Beers wanted to do, and, and rightly so. And uh, he, he'll say, it, even though we weren't the greatest of team, he loved every minute of it here at Everton, training-wise and, and playing-wise. And yeah, great, great lad. I get on unbelievable with him he, he was he was a good kid well your last full season was 93-94 mm. we don't want to keep it too much longer we're really happy no that you're with us but two main things there Howard leaving and Mike Walker yeah. coming in was yeah. he just completely the wrong fit because everyone we interview uh, you know we don't want to put words in your mouth but they don't say he was a great coach they don't yeah. say he was a great manager so we wonder 
what was he? Yeah, um, obviously he'd done well with Norwich mm. at the time, and the club must have when when things weren't going right for Howard. Um, <coughs> they obviously uh, looked at the situation, thought, well, Mike Walker, up and coming manager, done well with Norwich, got him into Europe at the time, did well in Europe, and thought he's the right fit for Everton. Uh, but I found that probably only a week or two into his management, I thought, is he strong enough to be Everton's manager? Um, there were press waiting for a story, whether it be the Echo or the Nationals, every day, perhaps. And no disrespect to Norwich at the time, they'd probably had locals probably twice a week waiting to do an article, whereas at Everton, you need a story every day from somewhere. So he had to deal with the press every day, which he weren't really... Well, he, he kind of were in a way, but he didn't turn up on times at times for the press and stuff like that. And you, c you can't do that. Well, in those days, the relationship between the manager oh. and the local press was massive, wasn't it? You Absolutely know, massive. Howard Kenny were Howard trying, to, trying to beat the story across the park. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. We were Howard. He used to invite him up, cups of tea, coffee, whereas Mike could keep him waiting. Dave Prentice will tell you that. Keep him waiting at times. And the press got a little bit fed up and... I'm not saying, perhaps it might have been a bit too big for him, the club. Uh, and then Dave Williams, who was his assistant, used to go away with Wales quite a bit. And when he had to go away, Mike used to take training. And yeah, he was a goalkeeper uh, previous and his training sessions weren't weren't very good. And you used to think, oh God, he's managed a Everton football club here and uh, the training's poor. It really was. And, I don't think he was strong enough personally to handle some of the players, uh, perhaps me in particular. Perhaps I weren't great because at times he, he was good. When he first come, I, w I was captain. Jimmy Gabriel had made me, uh, when he was the interim caretaker manager or captain, so I remained captain when Mike were here. And don't get me wrong, did the best, tried the best for him, tried the best for myself, as I've mentioned many times before. But... Um, yeah, they, I, I'm not saying I didn't see eye to eye to him, but I just didn't think he was strong enough to be Everton's manager. And I just feel that we need the best. And I, I didn't think Mike were the best, to be quite honest. And uh, a, f a few others didn't. And it didn't, didn't surprise me that we struggled hmm. under him. Well, the second half of that season, we, we nosedived and we ended hmm. up on the, the last game of the season. If I can break this down to three parts, yeah. with you, if you don't mind. Yeah the build up to that Wimbledon game so we lose three and out leads on a Saturday yeah. we've got seven days knowing mm. that we're in an almost impossible situation mm. as a player at Belfield what's that like? <sighs> yeah in the, in the time I'd been at Everton I'd gone from 87 winning a championship to knowing that we're one game away from getting relegated and who knows where the club would be if we did get relegated so yeah, it was absolutely massive. I never for one minute doubted the players or some of the players that I, w I were playing with. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, because to see the club that you've you've joined and you've you've become to love, to see that there's a chance and possibility of them being out of the league for the first time in their history out of the top league uh, would be would be embarrassing for you as a group of players for you personally because you're involved in this team and uh, 
yeah, it, it were a tough week because all week you turn the radio on or the TV and think, what a big game this is because it was all about Everton needing to win. You, you've seen both sides of it there then. Yeah. So you've, you've been in the games where there's the pressure to win, mm. Norwich away, for example. And uh, and you've seen that week, would you say that? I know which I know which pressure I'd rather have. And it ain't that pressure of winning, needing three points to, uh, or two points, whatever it were, at the time to survive. I'd rather have the pressure of trying to win the title than, than getting relegated. Because you're down there for a reason. Because you ain't good enough. Or you ain't playing well enough. And that's the reason. But we, we, we had some players in around that time. Dave Watson, myself, um, Neville Southall, characters, Barry Owen, Graham Stewart. And I'm thinking, Why? Even the lads that weren't that boisterous were still decent players. Gary Ablett, Gaz played. You got young David Unsworth, young John Ebrill, who were, who were eighteen at the time. And you're thinking, why are we? Why are we near the bottom of the players that we got? Yeah, correct. Because we weren't playing well enough. We weren't winning games, and it was as simple as that. And and if, to be honest, uh, when you wait, when you woke up that morning. It was unbelievable pressure because you, yeah, you didn't have to, uh, you didn't have to go to an hotel the night before or anything like that. We just parked his cars, and I remember walking across the pitch. Park End were down. I walked across with John Ebrill, and he was nervous. He, he was nervous lad anyway before games. I boy he used to concentrate, towel over his head, etc. But he was a young boy. He was 18, 19 if that, and to have players like that responsible. For Everton's for future. future, yeah, you're thinking he sh he shouldn't be in this position, him and Dave Owensworth. But I remember walking across the pitch and I went, "Ebo, these are the games you want to be involved in in your career that mean something." He said, uh, "If you're at clubs that nobody cares about, nobody bothers." I said, "Yeah, it's not a nice place to be in." I said, "But these are the games, mate, that make or break you." Correct, and uh, yeah, I remember walking across the pitch room, going in, and then Mike saying the team from there on and you knew that and you could tell you could tell that with the atmosphere usually when we walked across the pitch say half one for a three o'clock kickoff there used to be about three or four hundred in the ground but that's sure. opened the gates early and they're about yeah. seven thousand already in you should have seen the queues outside i was there it was yeah. unbelievable that's when that's when you knew when i walked across the pitch and i seen thousands mm. in there i thought wow this is mega this is massive today and you started to feel the tension from that minute walking across. Well, the second part of that question really is the first 20 odd minutes mm. of that game. When the second goal goes in and they go 2 0 up, mm. if you watch it back now, you can hear a gasp yeah. from the crowd. I remember looking across at me, Dad. He was born in the 50s, so he'd seen the Golden Vision, he'd yeah. seen the Holy Trinity, he'd seen you win the league in the mm. 80s. He was nearly in tears. He was mm. looking at it going, This is, this is terrible. You're on the pitch. Could you feel that gasp? Yeah. Could you feel that emotion? Yeah. They usually say you can't, you can't feel anything when you're on the pitch, and sometimes, well, most of the times you can't, unless the ball goes dead for a free kick or somebody goes injured or a corner kick come. You can't really hear the crowd, but when that second goal went in, even I realised, and and I'm never a defeatist. I'm always trying to be positive. I've got to be honest. When that second goal went in, I thought we're going down, and you could sense that throughout the crowd. You're right. There was utter silence. Some started even to walk out. I kind of looked <coughs> at the uh, at the main stand and across the lower bullings, and I'm thinking, "There's people walking out here." No, they didn't want to see the club.
being relegated. It was too much for them. And yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to admit to myself that two nil, kind of where you're usually rolling your sleeves up and saying, "Come on, let's dig in," kind of speechless because you thought we're going down. The rest of that game was like a pantomime. We get a penalty from a Limpard dive. Neville yeah. Southall's trying to take it. <laughs> Graeme Stewart eventually yeah. gets us right back in the game. The second half, we get away with one. I think Diamond nods it off the line. Yep. Then he scores the win after Barry Horn screamer. Mm. What was that like to play in that second half? Well, just before the end of the first half, when we were two down and we got that penalty, I knew one person that weren't taking it, and that were me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I ain't taking this. No matter if I'm, if somebody says Snods, you're experienced, going, I weren't taking that. The pressure must yeah, have been boy. immense. And I, I'm big pals, obviously, because he's an ambassador with me. We live in Burtdale together. We see each other every day. And we're all, I'm always pulling his leg uh, about it. And he's always saying he saved the club that day. And, <laughs> and, but he must have had balls of steel. Absolutely, too. Because he'd not been with us that long, uh, Diamond. And to pick that up, and Park End down, just workmen there and people in the crowd. And, and to get us back in just before half-time, wow, it takes a, a big man to take that penalty. <clears throat> and he said, nope. Step up, as you said, Nev were wanting to take it. And Diamond says he, he even talks and saying, I weren't going to let Nev take it. Yeah. Nev could have took it for all I cared, as <laughs> long as it <laughs> weren't me. But uh, no, Diamond, brilliant. Got us back in. I remember going in the dressing room and we, we thought, right, come on. And we were shouting, we were back in it. And even then, Mike was just so relaxed. And I'm thinking, does this man know what it's all it's about? It's mean enough to him, yeah? Yeah, kind of thing. And he was saying, come on, lads. We're in a quiet way, we're, b we're back in this. And the lads are shouting and f more or less fighting with each other. Come on. And, and there were bedlam in the dressing room. And he would just stood there. And I'm thinking, he don't get it. He don't get what this game means, like kind of thing. Perhaps he did, but in his, in his own way. I remember going out early and Dave Watson saying, come on. Let's not leave leave all his energy in here. Let's get out early and let's show Wimbledon what we're all about. And we did. We went out and we were out there about four to five minutes before Wimbledon eventually came out at tunnel, showing them that we were ready for it. And then I, I were I were one that referees used to must say. I used to ask every five minutes, how long's left? <laughs> yeah. And even ten minutes into the game, I'm going, how long's left? And he's going, well, <laughs> like a kid in the car, kind of thing. <laughs> They must have got fed up of me every game. How long's left? How long's left? Kind of thing. And I remember him saying, "Oh, there's only 20 gone." And I'm thinking, "We ain't created a chance. Nothing's happened here." And then Barry picks that ball up and hits an unbelievable screamer. One, he'll never hit a ball like that ever again. He never hit. He didn't. He's never <laughs> hit. Yeah, he's never hit one the same before that. Yeah. He just flew into the top corner, and I remember the place just erupted. But we still needed another kind of thing, and we're all congratulating Barry kind of thing and then Dave Watson saying come on get back into position we, we need another yeah. we need another and it's still they had their chance you said yeah. cleared off and there were scrambles and there were efforts but the tension was unbelievable and you just knew the clock were running down yeah. and then Diamond just hit this unbelievable shot yeah. <laughs> more pace on it yeah. oh dear it's me it's like slow motion going it in wasn't slow it? motion it, it, like a block tattle yeah it was uh and as it's gone and it's bobbled Trickled. in wow he just i didn't even celebrate i know diamond went running to the corner flag of the gladys street mm. and all the boys chased I, I didn't i just stood on the halfway line and i just looked to the heavens and i turned around and i looked to big nev and 
honestly, I just kept kissing the air, punching the air. But then I thought, we've got another nine minutes yeah. to go here. Come on, come on, it's not all done. But then when the whistle did go, the scenes at the end of the game, people running on, kissing the floor. We all kissing. knew they had radios. Like, Sheffield yeah. United have got a drill or they've I got know. beats. It's like, it's worked out for it us. Did. And we were on the, on the pitch then jumping all over you. It, it was, honestly, I just, uh, I've looked back on the game, people are knelt down kissing the turf mm. and just looking up to the skies and I'm thinking I didn't want to get off thousands run on I remember having the turf in my room for about <laughs> six yeah. months yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually just just rotted there's a great, pit, a great video of John Fashionew looking absolutely terrified on the tunnel yeah. and the week prior yeah, he, was, right. he, he was talking play, up wasn't he yeah, that he was. we're going to go and do them and yeah. he looked terrified <laughs> <laughs> well they knew what yeah. Goodison were like as a, as a place I think Vinnie Jones froze for the second half I think mm. uh, because he kept going over and taking long throws, and I think the crowd were getting on and saying, Vinny, yeah. we're going to sort you out <laughs> if we go down. Kind of yeah. So I don't think it, Vinny wanted to know either, but uh, I remember it taking an age to, to get off the pitch. And uh, the players, uh, after afterwards, the players' room uh, was right by the home team dressing room, the players' lounge. And I remember I still had my boots on, uh, on my kit, and I remember walking down and it were all his friends and family in the players' lounge that could have tickets. And they were all hanging out of, as we're coming up the tunnel, they're all hanging out of the players' lounge and somebody dragged me in. And I can tell you now, I had six bottles of Budweiser <laughs> before in my kit before I even went in the dressing room to see all the lads and Mike Walker and everything. Everybody just kept saying, Snod's another one. And I was sat in my boots, my shorts, my, short, uh, my socks, my pads, and my shirt. They showed your clothes on this and time. I had six <laughs> bottles of beer. N no, no exaggeration. Six bottles of Budweiser before he even decided <laughs> to go in the dressing room. But who cared then? Oh, yeah. The club was saved. We, we were still. But then you look back on it and think, I'm not proud of it. In a way, you were because it was an unbelievable day. Some history will never take away from that 3 2 game that day. But me and Graham Stewart talk about it and we say, we're not proud because we were in that team that nearly went down. Yeah. And we would have been laughing stock if... It would have stayed with you forever, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it would. Yeah. yeah, it would. And uh, I, I keep telling him, I said, I turned down Liverpool. That's why I've got the ambassador's role at heaven. <laughs> and he goes, I saved the club. <laughs> <laughs> so he always thinks he's one bigger than me. So he thinks turning Liverpool, uh, scoring two goals keepers up is better than turning Liverpool down. So I'll let we him know. spoke a lot that. about the, um, the personalities and the importance of that, that mm -hmm. mentality. I mean, y you read the names out before of the, the players that were in that team, and obviously a lot of them has ability, but they also had the meant to steal to get through mm. a game like that in the end and that was that was key wasn't it some of the people who were around were still there was still enough players in there to, to get us over the line yeah at 2-0 down you could have gone 4-0 there yeah. yeah a group of players would have yeah. could have folded yeah. easy yeah could have folded easy but uh, you're right but I, I just to name name a few that I named before you look at Dave Watson and you think god what's going to happen in that dressing room if we get beat <laughs> and we go down Dave won't allow it I won't allow it Big Never would have wanted to fight everybody so you knew we'd got enough I didn't at 2-0 but at the end of the game you realised and wow it was like winning the title again the celebration just for us to stay up because who knows where, where Everton would have been as a uh, as a club uh, who knows to this day if we'd have gone down you look at Leeds United you look at Notts Forest etc you look at Man City when they went down you, you don't know it's hard to tell but thankfully 
thankfully we stayed up and rest is history. So Schnodz, uh, Joe Royal, Joe Royal obviously comes in. Um, at that point, was that when you, you thought it was time to move on, or was there something that preceded that that the kind of gave you that? Well, um, yeah, when Joe Joe came, I was I was on loan at um, I was on loan at Sunderland. He wanted everybody back, um, whoever were on loan, kind of thing. So I came back and I trained for about three or four weeks um, without really getting in the squads or anything like that. I played f about four or five games in the reserves. Thought I'd done well. Thought I warranted a place in the in the at least the squad. And I went getting a looking, and then there were one game at Leeds. I played in the reserves. I played alongside Dave Watson. I played really, really well. And Dave Watson went, "If you don't get in the squad for this weekend, mate," he said, "I'd look to move on." And I went, "Yeah, you're right." So I looked on the Friday, <coughs> and uh, seen my name went down. Paul Holmes were playing at the time at right back, and Matt Jackson were at centre back. So I thought, well, if I'm not getting in then it's time to move. And Sharpie had got the job at Oldham where Joe had vacated it to become Everton manager. Colin Harvey was his number two. And Sharpie still lived in Burtdale Village where I lived. And <laughs> he did a lot of up Burtdale. Yeah. <laughs> and he just said, uh, do you fancy coming play for me? And I went, without a doubt. So we didn't even talk money. He just said, uh, I'll try and get you the same contract what you're on at Everton. We've just gone down. We're trying as best to get straight back in the Premier League um, but we you just what we need experience at the back blah 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 we need characters in the dressing room uh, Colin's desperate for you to be in to come I said no problem I'll uh, come so yeah Everton owed me a, a signing on fee for my last year and I just said uh, they were asking a fee at first and Joe Royal had said um, I'm going to ask a fee. I said, come on, Joe. I said, I've been here eight years now. I've not been any trouble. I said, uh, let me go on a free and I'll just waver the money that Everton owe me. I said, I'll just waver that uh, goodbye kind of thing. And he went, fair enough, son. I will do that. So I didn't chase the money up that I was supposed to get. And I went on a free transfer to Oldham. And uh, rest history, I played a couple of seasons for Sharpie, which I found hard because he'd been my mate yeah, yeah. for all that these years and I'm having to it. call him boss. <laughs> and even uh, even after games when we got beat and uh, I'd see him in the dressing room, obviously going berserk, we'd go back to Birkdale and have a couple of beers and talk about was the game. Was that then. moment where he's had to rip into you? Or was it kind of not really, really not really, because he he knew what I gave he every week. Yeah, yeah, he knew what I gave every week. He knew that if I did let him down in any way, it was never. It weren't intentionally weren't. So he he knew my character. So no, he never he never ripped into me in any kind of way. And uh, but I I had shown him the utmost respect as a manager. Uh, when he were away from the club, when we were in in the village having a drink, I'd call him Sharpie. Yeah. But the minute I got into yeah, around the football club, yeah. he, he, he were boss. And it was as simple as that. And But he played on it with me as well. He used to love me calling him boss. <laughs> <laughs> well, during, during the 95 season, obviously, it, it's, it, it finished by Everton ending up at Wembley. And mm. I believe, well, at, at that moment in time, were you, were you there as an Evertonian? Yeah. Is that still you? Yeah, I'd, I'd only left the club in January uh, yeah. when the team get to the final in May. And uh, I remember taking my oldest boy, Ian, uh, I think he was about eight, eight, between eight yeah, and a little nine. bit younger than me, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I remember him taking him down, and uh, I went into the dressing room with him, 
and wished the lads all the best. Wow. And we walked up the tunnel, and I'll never forget this, this. One of the stewards went, "Sorry, you can't. Only if you're playing, kind of thing, and involved with Everton, can you come up here?" And then Neville said, "He's with me." To the young, to the, sh the, uh, steward. the steward said, "He's with me," meaning me and my son. Yeah. We both walked up to on the pitch at Wembley, and Nev said, "Right," to my young lad, "Yeah, come and take some shots in me." Oh, class. And little Ian then was eight-year-old and he's shooting at Wembley. At Wembley, yes. Uh, there's only Nev could do that, though. That's class. Uh, to be fair, and he had about five or six shots in him at Wembley. Uh, so, yeah, and then... No one was beating him that day, were they? No. <laughs> and I took my seat uh, with all the Evertonians, and, but I'd said to him, I, said, I knew what it was going to be like because I'd only just left. And I said, look, if you need to go to the toilet, go now. And yeah. gonna, I went, he went, no, Dad, I don't want to go. He wanted to go at half time, didn't he? Oh. So went and we got absolutely mobbed. And it was quite scary then because they were all coming, yeah, they all yeah. wanted to touch kind of thing and snods and all this. And we were getting kind of crushed. And the police had seen it, and there were four policemen come round and they made a, like a circle around me and my son <laughs> and got us back to the seat. But it, it was just a fantastic feeling that the Evertonians thought so much of me. Uh, but I wanted to be there on that day, even though I had left the club and gone to Oldham but it just shows uh, what this club means to me and, and, and ironically young Ian probably wouldn't have had the same experience whether if, if you'd have no. been in that dressing room no. because he'd have been cast away somewhere not cast away but you know Ab somewhere else no? absolutely right and uh, to this day I know he were at Chef Wednesday uh, last night watching the game and my other two sons uh, are, are all Evertonians so the three of them go to a lot of away games and uh, I've not never forced them into uh, and even my grandson, it's his birthday on Friday. I've just got him the home kit with Snods 4 on the oh, back class. as well. So he plays, he's had one every year. So he's got that f on Friday for his birthday. And may Everton be in our family for uh, many, many years to come. Well, my daughter's just got to five. And obviously last season was difficult because she's at the age now where she knows the football's on. Mm. She realises Everton, Liverpool, etc. She was around for the, the Champions League final. I was actually away at the time, which was lucky. Yeah. Um, but she ends up going to a Champions League party with, with my wife and I was really uncomfortable <laughs> about it, knowing that she shouldn't be there. Yeah. And when I got back, I made the, the mistake, hopefully it's not a mistake, but I, I made the the call of saying that we'll next season, we'll win, we'll win something yeah. next year. And my wife, every every cook and <laughs> wife sitting on the edge of the couch you know, every time. But, you know, obviously last night, Chef, I go, please, please win. One I know, that, that's the frustration of sporting Everton at the minute. We, um, we just can't seem to get over the lines, can't seem to win a trophy. But as I've said many times, this city will come to a standstill when we do win something and uh, it'll be a sea of blue and uh, it's the day I can't wait for. And now, having obviously spent this time in your company, you'll be one of the first people I probably think of with that statement as well. Well, listen, Santa, I can't, um, can't thank you enough for your time. Um, no, absolute pleasure. It's been brilliant to come down here and, and to share your memories. To, it's almost like a, a fairy tale in the sense that you've come to the club, won a trophy straight away, you've been seen that high you've had the you know the the stuff that's happened mm. in the city you, you've had that the, the Wimbledon game as well it's so many highs and lows unbelievable story but as you say you've had the privilege of pulling on that blue shirt so many times whether it was for good managers not so good managers with outstanding players with, with within different players and I suppose like for me as a fan whether it was winning the FA Cup at Wembley going into that stadium every week and seeing them play is, is, is special and, and for you you've You've gone that one step further, and that you know. Yeah, the you. the biggest compliment I can pay play at, pay Everton Football Club is I class this as home, and uh, 
for a Yorkshireman to say that, this is home, I must feel comfortable. Well, you've now got, obviously, pride of place as, a, as an ambassador mm. at the club. Um, and obviously, the likes of Sharpie and, and Diamonds, we, we've, we've obviously got the, the people in the background. And I think that's, that's what's special about this club as well, as no disrespect to the, the, the team across the park, but you know that the ambassador's there that genuine love for the club and it's not just the status to, the, mm. to like to yourself and, and Sharpie and, and Diamonds it, it means a lot to you yeah we do we absolutely love the club as you said three three lads one from Scotland one from London one from Yorkshire uh, associated with this club who are ambassadors perhaps we've got the character uh, that the chairman wants that the club wants in, in an ambassador to uh, to go to schools go to hospitals mixing around with the first team we've, we've got that character that uh, but First and foremost, we've got the love for the club and we'll have that till the day we die. And uh, it's a privilege. There's a lot of better players, a lot of players that have won more trophies, a lot of players that have made more appearances than me and probably Graeme Stewart. But I think one thing we've got is genuine love for the club and we, we always will do. And uh, it's, a, it's a privilege, it's an honour to be an ambassador of this football club. Well, it's been a privilege to spend the best part of an hour and a half with you. Thanks so much, Nods. Cheers for your Pleasure. time. Pleasure. Thank you. Brilliant. Hello and welcome to the Across the Park Instant Match Reaction. Everton 2, Wofford 0. Into the quarter-finals of the League Cup, Craig. After all the adversity and the negativity that's been going around, how's that feel? Yeah, have you got any tissues? I've got a nosebleed. <laughs> yeah, I've got a nosebleed. Um, yeah, 2-0. It was a pretty comfortable performance. We're not really like, creating and doing an awful lot throughout the game. We were, we were in full control possession wise and we had a, we had a lot of it the midfields I wouldn't say bossed, bossed the game but they certainly done enough to isolate their, their midfields didn't really give them much room on the wings and it was a pretty it was a it wasn't a laboured win but I'd say it was a it was a it was a hard fought win to get to get to the position to, to lead the game and, and from then onwards I think we looked pretty comfortable I mean, we, we, we spoke about this last night on the podcast, and I actually predicted 2-0. Um, I, I, I can't say I was, I, was, I was that confident last night, but I felt as though we would get the job done eventually. I did point to the fact that they, they have been pretty solid in defence the last few, 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 few games, drawing 1-1 with Tottenham, 0-0 at the weekend. Their game plan clearly tonight was to, to frustrate us, wasn't it, and to try and hit us on the break. And fortunately enough, apart from maybe one effort from Andre Gray, which... Pickford done all right to save. He didn't really create a lot. Um, I think it was a it was a positive positive night for us all around. The one disappointment for me was was Moise Keane going off at half time, and I think I was disappointed when he made the change. But Theo Walcott made some impact, didn't he? Yeah, and I think we've seen that in the last two or three games with Theo Walcott. I think that knock on the head has done him the world of good. But um, yeah, I think Wofford came in. He made seven or eight changes. I think you you said eight changes before the game and. I think it's pretty obvious that their their target this season is to get out of the slump that they're in in the, in the league, and and rightly so. I think I think they're probably too good to be down there with some of the players that they've got. But you know they, they've they've came here and they haven't really gave the the, the very few hundred Savlin fans very much to talk about. I mean, we we probably played with, with the exception of maybe Moise Keane. We probably played our strongest team tonight, and it looked a bit more like a four three three in the first half. 
Um, although it was a straight swap walk off for, for Moyes Keane at half time, do you think it can maybe changed the, the, the formation or the shape slightly? I think it gave someone who's, who likes to get in and behind the, the defence, gave, the, gave that type of option, whereas Moyes Keane, he's better with the ball at his feet and he, he wants to run at players with the ball at his feet, whereas Walcott, although he's, he can do that, he likes to get in and behind the defence and give them headaches with his movements. And I think that that gave Watford a few a few problems because I think they they pretty much cope quite well with him with with Keane and with him with with our front four in the in the first half Watford and you know I think the introduction of of Walcott did I think it's done us the world of good and I think it it it, it scuppered their game plan. Yeah, definitely. I mean, thinking thinking now towards the, the game on Sunday, Davis come out tonight. Obviously, Tom Davies replaced by Fabian Delph. Um, it looks like we'll have no choice at centre-back because Yerimina looks like has pulled up with a hamstring, which is a real blow because Yerimina's starting to look like the, the main man at the, at the heart's defence. But from a positive perspective, it was a good performance again from Mason Olgate, weren't it? Yeah, and I think we've... I think that... I think Holgate has needed that that spell away from the club and just to get that confidence. I think he, I, th- I don't think playing out of out of his favour position of of right back last season has has done him any harm because I think that's where all good centre halves delaying the team playing in that position, getting hold of the ball and, and and having time on the ball. And I think it's something the world's good. I think he's come into the team and he's played out of his favourite position. He's played as a left centre half in in. Today and it's um, he's played very well and he's and he got a, a well-deserved goal and, and, and good on him and hopefully that'll kickstart him now as as like you know I can be the main centre half of this club you know alongside one of these lads you know it's it's up to them to dislodge me now and and hopefully you know that it's the start of something good for him. So a couple of questions then before we go, um, does, does Tom Davies come back in for, for Sunday one and two? Um, do you, would you make any other changes or does that team that finished the game with the exception of Tosin and Zolmer Calvert-Lewin does that team start the game against Tottenham can we keep Tosin no <laughs> no I think um, you know, I'd have Davis back in the team um, I think the, the games that he's played especially against West I, to be honest I don't think he will I think I think he will go for a, a more defensive uh, line up against um, Tottenham with the fact that they've got the, the attacking players that they've got to hurt us but I don't think that playing the, a Davis against them would do, do, them any, do us any harm I'd like to see Davis but I'm, I'm not 100% that we will um, I think we'll possibly see Keane back out the side I think, he, I think he'll yeah with the exception of Tosin I think it will be the same side and I'm hoping it'll be Davis instead of Delph Very last question eh? man of the match tonight man of the match I don't think anyone really has a a great performance I thought Walker when he came on he gave them a lot of problems I think Richardson came alive second half um, I, th- I think for, the, for this goal I'm going to give it to Olgate because he was he was quite settled at the back he, he didn't do too, too much wrong he didn't do he didn't have to do an awful lot right but he, he was there in the right place and, um, and got his goal and I think I'm going to give it to Holgate tonight because it, as well as that, he, he had to deal with uh, playing alongside Keane for 60 minutes of the game, so I think I'll give it to him. Yeah, fair play. To, uh, you beat me to it there. I was going to hope for Holgate. I'll, just to mix it up, I'll probably go with Theo Walcox. I think he's made a telling contribution tonight, which is not like him. Um, although, as you say, in the last few weeks he has been a little bit better, but to come on, to change the game the way he did, to set up that goal for Holgate, and it was a really cool 
um, you know, a great first touch and a, and a lot of composure to, to set him up. And yeah, I think he made a big difference tonight. But I can't disagree really with with Holgate. Anyway, thanks for listening. Um, Everton into the quarterfinals of the League Cup, which is which is obviously a little bit of positivity, and and hopefully we can we can take that on to Sunday. Cheers.